You're listening to the Tennis.com Podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey everyone, welcome to the Tennis.com Podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan. Here, uh, back with us is Pete Bodo, and uh, also joining us, Steve Tigner once again. Um, Pete, good to see you again. Back yeah, here. good to be back. I had to go pick up my dog. I missed the last podcast. I had to get to the kennel. The rest Priorities, of the right? Priorities. Exactly. <laughs> Um, back in time for the start and pretty pretty much the grass season's about halfway over by now. I'm sure you know that's a pretty good misnomer. Um, we just had Queens Club and Holly uh, on the men's side this past week, and um, a couple finals of note: Sam Query he beat fellow American Marty Fish seven six seven five, and um, Leighton Hewitt got a rare win over Roger Federer and Holly in uh, three sets three six seven six six four. And uh, we'll start with uh, start with Queens and um, Stevie took a look at that final. So uh, what your what are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I watched Query beat Fish. I guess the first thing to mention is what a difference a week makes for Sam Query. He was pretty much he was he seemed burned out and on the verge of of taking some serious time off right before Queens. He said he left the French Open and he said he wasn't even sure if he was going to play Queens. He wasn't sure about his whole competitive mindset. Then he comes back. He plays a couple matches. He says. I think I figured figured it out. I, I can't play three weeks in a row, and who knows? Maybe he just was, you know, he was so relaxed. He he um, he had a totally fresh perspective, and he looked good. His forehand, in particular, he he has a way of at least on grass of hitting, getting to hit a lot of forehands. He's figured somehow figured that out. At least against the guys he played in Queens, he was able to use his forehand. Yeah, it was a public relations disaster turned into a public relations triumph in a way because he's kind of under, utterly vindicated himself. You know, I mean, I was in a camp at the French Open where basically, you know, uh, everyone was trashing the guy for talking about how unprofessional he was and the fact that he admitted that he quit and all this other stuff. And, you know, the guy was just very honest, I think, you know, and, you know, you can't hold that against the guy. I mean, the guy was burned out. You know, uh, Craig Boynton, I was talking to John Isner's coach, Craig Boynton, the other day, and he, he told me that query uh, from Belgrade on, after that Belgrade final, from there on, the rest of the European swing, Sammy said, will look, quote, glassy-eyed the whole time. So, you know, you could, he was fried. And, you know, people do forget that guy's played a heck of a lot of tennis. He's played 16 events. I counted him up, played 16, as opposed to Nadal, for instance, played, I think, nine so far. Now, I'm including Davis Cup and World Team Cup matches in that, but there's no question that the guy had really kind of fried himself. It was a big statement, I think, he made coming back like yeah, this. Yeah, um, I, I agreed with Pete at the time when... When Sam said those things, I felt like, okay, maybe you shouldn't say this, and, and maybe it seems a little unprofessional, but I, I can't imagine. They're, they're, every player must have that feeling at, at some point. And just, just knowing tennis matches, if you, can, if you get on a bad roll and start to think about things and, and your mind goes to bad places, it's hard to get out of it. So, you know, Query, Query was right, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he, he, this year himself, I mean, you can say what you want about the guy for what he said in the French, but he's he's not only I guess the hottest American at this point, but he you know he's beaten all the other top Americans. He's beaten Roddick this year in Memphis. He's beaten last year. He's beat Isner in a pretty big final in Belgrade too, and so he's delivered. And it's kind of with him, I almost think like like he was going to shut it down almost, and then just boom, just sort of flip a switch, and he takes a huge tournament where pretty much every top player aside from Federer was in the field this week. Yeah, what's kind of interesting is Isner's a little wigged out by how he let Sam off the hook, both in that Memphis final and in Belgrade too, and, that's, and he feels like he had match was on his racket, and they're buddies, as we know, and they play doubles together, and they're good, but you know, it's kind of a funny situation for him because he's really, he's, what do I got to do to beat this guy? And you know, in a funny way, if these guys end up playing a big match at Wimbledon, 
or someplace along the trail soon, you know that that's going to have some impact. You know, I've had this guy in a corner before. He slipped me, you know, slipped slipped out twice. So in a funny way, in that little friendly rivalry they have going, you know, right now you got to give Query the upper hand. Yeah, isn't there had the? He seemed to have the momentum. He beat him in. He beat Query in Indian Wells, and he seemed to have the momentum for a couple months after that. Suddenly, Query hasn't. Isn't there is a little, you know, who knows? Maybe he's lost a little of that momentum. We'll you know we'll find out. Are they playing? Do you know if they're playing doubles in Wimbledon as well, Pete? They had planned to, yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll see now. This, these fatigue issues, you know. John pulled out of Eastbourne. You know, he told he told uh, his coach that he was just didn't feel like he was ready to play, and he needed some time in a gym. You know, I, you know. Uh, ironically, he he talks about matches being the best preparation for him. I mean, that's his best form of practice is playing a lot of matches. Yet, on the other hand, he and his coach Craig Boynton also feel that. You know, John's the kind of guy who needs to do the gym work. He needs to do the aerobic work. He needs to do the weight training, the strength training. He really needs to get his body a little bit to another level. And I think if you watch him play, I don't know if you agree with this, Steve, but you can see that the guy, the guy is not like a specimen. He's not like an Nadal. You know, there's, right. this, despite being 6'9", there's something, you know, not really frail, but you could see where maybe he's not the strongest guy where stamina might be an issue for him. Yeah, you can see that. He also doesn't, I mean, at 6'9", he's not going to be a natural mover. He doesn't look, it's hard to, it's not like he's a natural body for a tennis player so that's always going to be an issue with him did, did he say whether he thought that they overscheduled in through the clay season john did he did he mention anything did they no he was he was all he for was happy it, with you know it, no yeah. i don't know that he's gonna he might uh, he might very well cut one of those events out of his schedule for next year but basically he said he wanted to go over there take those five weeks see what he can do you know he, he felt good about his chances on clay he he's happy with his performance over there you know it could have been better he said but you know belgrade final you know sticks in his craw a little bit but you know he felt that he had a Good, good tournament there, and one of the things, one of the things that really you know made him feel good about it was that he was in a lot of he was in a Rome final with Sam in the doubles. They lost to the Bryan brothers there, and he said it made a world of difference to him to actually be alive in a tournament, even if it was just in mm-hmm. the doubles, you know, as opposed to just sitting around a hotel room practicing in some foreign country where you know you can't get the kind of French fries you like and yeah. stuff. So uh, he he had he had a good trip, and I, I think I think he may maybe he deletes one from his schedule next year, but I think he'll be playing a clay. Yeah. I wonder if they'll do any good for Djokovic. He actually won the doubles in Queens as well. One quick thing about you watch the final um, mm-hmm. for Fish was this another one of those two thousand eight Indian Wells jobs where he comes out of the nowhere and just has one sort of you know well, this one sort of he... seismic week and then really just kind of. Well, we'll see. I think he is a he is a dangerous player on grass. That that surface suits him, suits his serve. He really he had he served for the second set and played a bad game, a game I mean that you would have to say he lost because of nerves, which and and then he lost he lost the match right after that and you could tell that he he felt like I'm I'm sure that he felt like he he gave that away and he should have won that second set. So that that factor of that was the thing that stuck out to me is he was playing really well, played really well up to the point where you would expect him to get nervous, and then he did, and then he, he couldn't close it out, whether that sticks with him at Wimbledon or not. But but I think he's, you know, depending on his draw, he's a guy who, who no, people don't really don't want to face at Wimbledon. Probably, yeah, probably unseated, unseated too, I would think. Or yeah, he's ranked, very, yeah. he's ranked, his ranking is not high right now. Yeah, I don't want to jump the gun on our Wimbledon, on our Wimbledon coverage because we'll be doing another podcast looking forward to Wimbledon at the end of the week. But I think... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking for a big tournament by the Americans. I really am. I'm looking for an American semifinalist, maybe not named Roddick. Not that Andy won't be there as well. It'd be all the best if he is there. But uh, I'm, I think things are really looking up for the U.S. Yeah. Canepri's playing pretty well. You know, granted, he's not a grass court player, but he's got a good service return. He can do some damage with that. And, uh, you know, Aquarian I, I, Isner definitely, you know, seem like they're, they're, they're in it to win it. Yeah, suddenly you've got three guys other than Roddick who are decent 
you know decent contenders. Yeah, not just a novelty, definitely. Yeah, how different from last year? Last year, last year you had Roddick and Blake in a Queens final. It was the old Roddick and Blake show once again, you know. And uh, this year, no Blake, of course, and Andy, Andy loses early. But who steps up? Query and Fish. And I like my. I agree with you about Marty, Steve. I think he's Mar- Marty's got. A very good game for grass. We know he's rededicated. He's got on this new nutrition and diet plan, and, and he's taking his career a little more seriously maybe than before, and, and that, that could spell trouble. Quarry and Ezra step in for Roddick and Blake, just just like in Davis Cup, so there you go. Um, the other final in Holly was uh, Hewitt over Federer. Um, I wrote earlier today about, you know, it's been sort of a trend lately about Federer losing matches to guys he just – had pretty much unblemished records against for so long. I I always kind of think of it as, you know, whenever player X gets another shot at him, no matter how many times they, you know, they lose him, it's always going to be kind of the biggest match they play in some time. And, um, you know, I guess Hewitt finally got this one. It was a close one, but um, he made it first time out of the last 16 matches he beat. I think Steve's chomping at the bit there to trot out that line. Nobody beats Leighton Hewitt 16 (laughs) times in a row. (laughs) Did he say that? Yeah, he should have said that. But but now, I mean, I guess Federer, now's now's the time when when all these guys, maybe they feel like they have a chance. Bagdadis has beaten him. Davidenko's beaten him. Soderling's beaten him. I don't know whether it's, you know, obviously there's just going to be a little bit of a dip for Federer. And, I think when you've beaten somebody 15 times in a row, there has to be a little bit of less motivation to beat that person one more time than there is for Hewitt to break that yeah. streak. I mean, Hewitt has got to want it's, to – it's an embarrassment to a guy like that to, to lose so many times to, to Federer. I didn't see the match. I don't know what those guys said about it. I mean, Hewitt, Hewitt has had success against Federer way in the past, and he's, he's played him some tough sets here and there, and, and he's obviously a good grass court player, so it's not a, it's not a huge surprise it was a three-out-of-five set match, but um, – what do you guys think this means for, for Roger going forward? Any Anything to take from it? or? Yeah, I, I was kind of wondering if there was really much to take about it. I mean, it's an, it is, on one hand, it is another match this year of Federer's that he has been very close to the finish line and, you know, just couldn't get by it. He had him in a tiebreaker with a set in hand already. Um, but, I mean, for my opinion, it's still, you know, a different ball game until until the slams come. But Soderling just beat him in Roland Garros, and we set that up to that point, too. So I think those losses accumulate kind of like a toxin in your system little by little. You don't recognize them. You, you, know, you, don't, you don't realize you're taking those PCBs or whatever chemicals we're eating these days. But they do build up, and there comes a point when it can really hurt you. I thought it was significant at the French Open at Roger. Now, Soderling, I feel, played a very good match. There was no, you know, you can't fault Federer. You can't say Federer choked or took his eye off the prize or anything. But at the same time, I think when a guy's lost some matches and he's not going in there, you can tell he's not he's not on, on a winning streak. Basically, he's not hungry. He's not saying I want more. I want more. And that's always that's always kind of a dangerous dangerous thing. So you know, you get in a tight spot. If he gets in a tight spot at the tournament, suddenly some of those losses are you know maybe in the back of his mind instead of just all those great escapes and his sense of invincibility. I think that's true. I, you look at some at a point in like 2008 when he had a terrible summer and then he won the U.S. Open, which was so the summer tournaments had no bearing on the slam. But then this spring, I would say that he, what he did at the French was pretty much what he had, he showed the form that he had gotten up to going into the French Open. He lost to Nadal. He played some really bad tennis early, lost to Golbis, uh, lost to Montanius. But then he, he played a good tournament in Madrid, lost to Nadal in straight sets. And that's pretty much the form he took to the French Open. So, so maybe that's, a, who knows, if it's an indicator that this is the form, this good but not fantastic form is the way what we'll see at Wimbledon. It was like the grand experiment. You know, everyone's wondering. I think Federer fans have got to be thinking. You can't blame them because I think it's a pretty pretty fair analysis situation. You know, the guy's done everything. He's 
You know, it's all gravy at this point. All he's got to do is, is get his game together. And, you know, when he gets into a grand slam, he's going to realize this is it. This is for keeps. This one counts. That's, you know, that sounds good on paper. And I think the psychology is actually pretty accurate. But it's a lot easier said than done. Also, but I actually think the Federer fans are often more likely to, to look at it in a gloom and doom way. I was talking to two guys at my, at my club yesterday. One is a huge Federer fan. He, he, he says we gotta, you know, we've got to start worrying now. Like after, after, he he, now. Exactly. after, we, after he heard that he lost to Hewitt, he, you know, he was like, oh, it's, you know, we're in trouble. I talked to another guy who is an, an Nadal fan, and I mentioned, I mentioned the Roger loss to him, and he, he, his the only word he said was whatever, as if, <laughs> as if he expects Roger to, to, you know, to, to pull it together. That's also a stock in the Dolphin answer, right? Yeah. You know, it's a little like, yeah, get out of here. You know, don't yeah. bother us. The only other interesting thing about that was that it was, aside from the 08 final against the Dolphin, that was, I believe, Federer's only loss on grass since pre-03 days. I mean, this is that's, you know, just the surface dominance in its own right is pretty shocking, no matter who you're losing to. Ed McGrogan reading the tea leaves once again. Yeah. <laughs> hey, one other thing, though. Uh, Hewitt, you know, I, I think Hewitt, you know, despite his success on hard courts and stuff, I think I think the matchup with Federer, I think it really works to his benefit on the grass. I think on a hard court, it's a little more, more Federer's advantage. I think Hewitt can penetrate a little bit more on the grass courts, put Roger under a little bit more pressure, where Roger can basically rely on his racket skills and versatility on those hard courts. So, you know, this... This, you know, this, this win wasn't as, as, as surprising to me. You know, uh, I certainly wouldn't have picked Hewitt going in. But, I mean, I think, I think on grass, this, I mean, I, like if they meet again at Wimbledon or something, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough assignment. Good to see Roger. Hewitt um, back again. He came back at Wimbledon last year. But good to see him around again for, for Wimbledon, just another, another factor, another yeah. face. Mm-hmm. If only they'd stop with that stupid Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. Sort of like the uh, the horns in the World Cup. It's, it doesn't go away. Nothing as bad as that. Right? Yeah, the nothing, beehive. No. Um, we'll touch on uh, the, we'll touch on Wimbledon a little more on our next podcast when the draw comes out. We're planning one Friday, um, and uh, we'll have that up for you uh, with some analysis of you know what's been drawn and everything. Touch on it a little more. What else are we going to talk about? On Friday? Yeah. No. We'll touch, there's a little tournament going on. <laughs> yeah, all the yeah, Wimbledon right. coming up. Well, yeah, all the other tennis tournaments going on. We'll talk about that. Yeah, I'm just giving it a hard challenges. Got to make do. Um, but that's it for now, and we'll be back Friday. Uh, once again, Ed McGrogan here with Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner. Thanks again for listening to Tennis.com Podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.